circle. They were basically in a circle. If you look at the maps, in the back of your study Bible, you'll see that. And uh, they were on a postal route. And it's great how the Lord uses the postal service, even FedEx sometimes. Huh? Uh, but he uh, gave these letters directly to John as he was out on a little rocky island in the, in the sea there. And uh, he was basically in a prison where he was cracking rocks all day, breaking rocks. Uh, he's over 90 years old at this point. And he was put there because of his faith. So he knows what persecution is about. Okay, he was put there because of his faith. And there are people today in our country who are, have been, and will be put in jail for their faith, or put away for their faith and their belief system. And I've told you for many, many years that I expect fully in the next few years to be put in jail for simply reading the Word of God out loud. Because many people on our planet today consider this to be full of hate speech. Because it tells the truth. And the darkness does not like the light do it. And so when they can avoid that, they will do anything they can to get rid of it. That's right. And if that means jail time, then I, my wife knows, I always say, bring it on. If they want to come and cuff me for preaching the word of God, I'll gladly go. Um, because then you can come to visit me, we can have church in the jail. And we can be like Paul in his last couple of years, he can save a whole crazy jail for the Lord, and it'll be great. The whole king, the whole, whole ruler's household was saved because Paul was chained to him, man. They didn't they couldn't get away. He just gets pestering him, and they said, okay, 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 I love the Lord, all right. So, we like to do that in jail. I'm not asking for that, don't get me wrong. But uh, the way our country is going, it would not surprise me with what surprise them yet. Well, we are at a wonderful church today. We are in the third chapter, starting in verse 7. This is the Church of Philadelphia. The Church of Philadelphia. Let me read to you, uh, starting in verse 7. I'm reading from the ESV. I'll be reading verse 7 to verse 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved because you have kept my word about patience, about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast. 
back what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, or who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall, shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. A few years ago, uh, one of our sons was working in Pennsylvania, and we went out to visit him. And we took a day to go to Philadelphia which was quite an interesting day. Uh, and just let me tell you, even then, and even less now, it is not necessarily a city of brotherly love at this point. Yes, the American Philadelphia. However, we did stand in line for two hours to see the Liberty Bell, which is very disappointing. Don't ever do that. If you ever get back there, the Liberty Bell is it's not as big as the, as the garbage can. Okay? It's smaller than that. And it's got a crack in it, yeah, but it just sits in a little glass case. It's not worth two hours on your feet. Okay, I'll just tell you. You can look online and get a nice picture of it. It doesn't do as much. Right? The other thing I had to do is I had to run the Rocky Steps. If you're if you've ever seen Rocky, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and uh, I had to run the steps, and Lori videoed me on our primitive smartphone at the time. You know, and I ran up the steps, skipping a step just like he did. I made it to the top. I was younger then. And uh, at the top of those steps, it actually has two footprints of uh, conquerors set in the concrete where he stood. When he was at the top, you know, when he finally made it to the top, skipping everything, yeah. Yeah, they have taken his statue off of there. He used to be on the top of that step, but now they have it down to the side that he's left statue of uh, Sylvester down there. So that was a fun thing to do. We wanted a Philly cheesesteak, because that's what Philly is famous for, right? So I thought, well, it's got to be magnificent. It's got to be incredible. So we told our son he needed to take us to get it to the beef steak, that cheese steak. So I said, he said, okay, you sure? I said, yeah, I want the original, the real deal. And he said, well, then, when we get there, Dad, you can't say anything. You stay right by me, and you don't say anything. So we showed up at this restaurant, I can't remember the name of it, but it was one of the originals. I mean, it was the real deal. And of course, there were candlelights going by with you know gold spikes coming out of the tires. I mean, it was it was that kind of neighborhood. And uh, I was looking around, going, I'm not going to see anything. Sure enough, we got in there, and, and uh, there was nothing to a Philly cheesesteak. It's some meat and cheese on a hoagie bun. That's it. A few onions, and that was it. And I go. Okay, I told you, Dad, I could have told you what it was. And I said, well, at least I've had the original one. That's great. You can get a better one in some way, I'm sure. But that was why 
life experience, and uh, it was not what I was hoping for. I was hoping for a loving, wonderful city full of loving, kind people. Um, not so. Not so. And you know, the city of Philadelphia back in the day that it was written, which is the end of the first century, uh, was not that way either. <laughs> it was named that because it's an interesting history. It was uh, built about 200 years before Christ, so about 300 years before this time was written. It was a, it was a new city in, in that way, very new city. There was a king at the time by the name of Mumanes II, who had a brother that was very close to him, and uh, his name was Catalyst. And he had such a strong relationship with his brother that he built this city for his brother. And uh, to live in, and it became a, a decent-sized city. It was right at the eastern edge of uh, Asia Minor, right at the door of Asia. So it was kind of the door to, for the Greek society to be spread into Asia. And that kind of comes up in the, what we read, that it, it was kind of the door to that uh, culture over there, to expressed to them that they needed to, to start to speak in Greek, they needed to start uh, adapting Greek ways. Uh, they weren't highly successful all the time, but that was their purpose. But because he loved his brother so, he named it Philadelphia. And that's where, of course, they got the name for their city. This was a town that was uh, built, of course, above a valley, like most of the towns in that area. The valley was very volcanic, had a lot of volcanic soil, so it was very good for growing crops, very good for agriculture, very good for wine making, vines, so that the, uh, the main god in town was the god of wine, of course, because it was a big deal there. Um, they had a lot of earthquakes there, and in 17 AD, the town was completely wiped out, and they had to go in and rebuild it. So it was very, uh, it was very difficult for people to move back into town. So most of the people lived in what we would consider suburbs of the town. They lived outside of the city because they were afraid the big buildings that they had rebuilt, they were on a big earthquake, would crush them and they were, they were after it, so they kind of stayed out. They weren't like the people are today. They go back into New Orleans after it floods every time and rebuild. They build along a creek that is a dam and they wash out every few years and they go back and build the house. I don't understand that. But people do that here today. They didn't do that as much. They they lived outside the city. They went into the city to, you know, to for the day and to work and to do that kind of thing. But but uh, many of them lived outside the city. Um they so they were afraid often, not necessarily of the persecution there, this little church but of the actual physical shaking of the town and the, the place they lived. It was, it was always uh, in danger that way. Um, so that's a little background on the city. Any other questions about the city? So they were pretty much shaken up all the time. Yes. They were shaken up most of the time. Thank you for that. So let's get started. That's a little background. This is a... Uh, Different introduction, isn't it? Every uh, letter before this has, as Jesus has introduced himself from the first chapter of Revelation. It's been interesting how he's done that. Okay? Um, for example, at Sardis just last week, 
some two weeks ago when we studied Sardis. Uh, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That is a description of Jesus from the first chapter of Revelation, another place in the scripture. This is not from the first chapter. This is a different introduction. And he, it's interesting because he adapted his introduction to the character of the church every time that he was talking to. And remember, at this time, the church was not a building, had no building. Okay, they were churches like this church. They were small churches, home churches, uh, meeting in different places around town, in homes or in buildings that they could find to rent, much the same as we are. Okay, so this is, I like to think that this church is much like we are. Of course, every pastor would like to think that. But I'm going to just tell you straight up, that's what I think our church is, is this church, okay? Uh, so we're going to, I'm excited to get into this today. When he introduces himself, he says the words of the Holy One. Who is holy? God is holy, right? Anybody else holy? No. Not unless you're holy. Nobody else is holy. No. Uh, that's a unique description of only God, and he uses it here not only because they would understand that from the Old Testament, where they use the word holy all the time, right? But people recognized that, that knew the God of Israel, that he was the Holy One, okay? He always claimed to be the God, not one of the gods, okay? Not one of the gods. That's why one of my pet peeves is you hear people talking about the Lord and they'll say, well, I have a God who is a wonderful, loving God. No, I have the God who is a wonderful, loving God. Hear the difference? That's a pet peeve of mine. I hear people say it all the time. It's like, well, yeah, our God is just one of the gods. No, he's not. No, he's not. No. And he specifies it here for that purpose because, of course, like every other town, uh, even today, there are lots of gods in that town, lots of idols, lots of things that people worship, whether it be sports today, or vehicles, or money, making money, whatever their idol is, it's no different today. Every town, large town especially, and even small towns really, have those idols in them. And so, he is saying here, I am the Holy One. The Holy One. And then he says something else. He says the true one. The true one. And there's two different ways to look at that. But the word here is not the word in the original language. It has to do with being uh, honest or being the truth. It's the one that, it, it, the meaning of it is that he is the one and only true God. He's a genuine article. Does that make sense? The genuine article is really the proper translation of that word instead of the true one. And then it says, who has the key of David. Now that's very interesting. Who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. To understand that, that is a very Jewish way to describe himself. And it goes back to Isaiah 22, if you would turn back with me for a minute. Oh, I skipped a little bit while you're turning. You know, the Holy One is even one that the demons know. Remember when we were studying Mark? First chapter of Mark, when they, we ran into that guy who was demon possessed, and the demon talks to Jesus and says, I know about you, you're the Holy One of God, what are you messing with us for? <laughs> and Jesus says, well, you need to get out, and you got out, okay? 
But he said, you are the Holy One of God. So even the demons know who he is. And, uh, but in Isaiah 22, Isaiah 22, uh, he is basically quoting this to this little church. But you need to understand a little bit about this to understand what he means by the opening and shutting of doors. 22, 20, 22, 20, look at 22:20. It says, in that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe, and will bind your sash on him, and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open, and none shall shut. He shall shut, and none shall open. Did you hear that? And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place, and he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. Okay, so you got to understand a little bit. I'll just tell you, we can go into the whole thing, but... This is talking about a person in the, in the palace, in the king's house, who has the key to the riches of that house. Okay? Not only the rooms, but the rooms that contain the riches. And he can disperse those riches to people as they need them. There's a family who can disperse food. He has the key. Okay? He has the key to disperse money if someone's in need of money for a while. He can disperse all the riches, and of course we translate that in our day to the blessings of God. Okay? Jesus is the one who has the key. He has the master key. Now I don't know about you, but many places I've worked in my life, back when we had the keys, <laughs> now we have these little fob things to get in the building, but back in the day, we had keys. And you always knew who was the most important person on the job or in the building because he had the master key, right? One key, every door. One key to open all. Right? The rest of us got this key to our room <laughs> or the key to where we were working, right? But he had a master key. And that's the way I look at this. I look at Jesus as the one who has the master key. When he opens the door, it's open for a reason. Okay? When he shuts the door, it's shut for a reason. And he's the one that does it. He has the ultimate authority. We can argue with him all we want. doesn't do any good. Okay? When he opens the door, he opens it. When he shuts it, he shuts it. And that's what he's talking about. And there's different ways to look at this door. You can look at it in the way of salvation. And he opens the door of salvation. That's what we're praying for God. Right? That's what we're praying for people who don't know the Lord. We're praying that God will open that door to them in a way that they can see it open. And they can walk through that door and enter into eternal life. Right? That's what we pray for. That happened to us. If we have accepted Jesus in our heart, there was a day we saw that open door and we stepped through. And we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. So there's a way to look at it as salvation. There's also a way to look at it as a way of blessings. Okay? Remember, Jesus owns, the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He has all the riches of heaven. We sang about it today. 
And he can disperse that as he wills. And he can bless. Well, he just blessed me with a pile of wood in the back of some new barn, right? Seems pretty minuscule, seems pretty, you know, doesn't make much difference. Well, it makes a huge difference. The body will be able to burn good dry wood all better. That's a huge difference. And yet God, in his dispersing of blessing, blessed us with that this last week. And anybody in the room could stand up right now, and I'm not going to ask you to do that. Don't, don't do that right now. But everybody here could share a blessing in the last two or three weeks that God has given to you. If you look for them, you can see them. The blessings are continual. And uh, even going through difficult times, if you're looking for the blessing, you can see it. It's always there. And that's because that's in Jesus' nature. He has the key to disperse those blessings and to hand them out any way he chooses. Then it's also an open door. Is another way to look at it that I like to look at it. Is we have an open door to share the word of God, to share the, the message of the gospel with everybody we come in contact with, right? We have that opportunity. You have it wherever you are. You have that opportunity in a restaurant with the with the waiter, right? When you're in the store, whoever checks you out, you've got an opportunity, don't you? And if you're aware and you're paying attention, and the Holy Spirit opens that door, you can jump right through. Many, many times, somebody will ask you a question like, "Aren't you afraid?" Today, that's a great question, right? That, that's an open door. Because so many people are afraid, scared, scared all the time. And you show up and you're smiling and they go, aren't you afraid? That's an open door, isn't it? Let me tell you why I'm not afraid. You can walk right into the gates of heaven right there, right? Yes, you can. And so there's a lot of opportunity. And I think so many of us miss those opportunities if we're not paying attention. I think God gives us a lot more opportunities than we take it when he puts somebody on your heart, you know what I'm talking about. An old friend you haven't talked to for a long time, somebody you haven't seen in a long time. You think, hey, oh, I wonder how they're doing, but he just kind of keeps coming around. That's because you're supposed to either go see them or call them. Let me interpret that for you, okay? <laughs> and if you do, many, many, many times, somebody has called me out of the blue, and it was just exactly what I needed. Exactly. And I've been able to do that for people when I pay attention. And they tell me to call somebody and they'll go, wow, I was thinking about you too. I just have this issue. Would you pray for me? Make me pray with them on the phone or whatever. There's just that opportunity that is there. And if we are aware of it, we can see those open doors. Does that make sense? So I just ask you to take away from this a little bit today that we need to be more aware of those open doors and be looking for them. Wherever they are, in our backyard, at the store, at our workplace, when we call somebody on the phone and they ask the right question, aha, okay, we can get excited and we can walk through that door in love and share with them why we have the peace of mind. What's God, what has God done for us? So those are great ways we can look at this open door. I think they're great ways. So, uh, you know, the old saying, too, is whenever God shuts the door, he opens the 
window, right? And there's a lot of truth to that. He will direct your life. He's directing Becca's life right now. He's helping her get out to a place where she can be on her own, and she can be, she can grow up into the woman that God wants her to be. And that's what we're praying for. And uh, we have those opportunities too, to follow God's will in our life. And He will shut doors sometimes. You know, there have been places I wanted to move to in my career, and He said no. Or any job openings. If there was, I didn't get a job. Whatever, he just shuts the door, right? You know what I'm talking about. I experienced the last one. Yeah, you did. And there are other times when you think, I'd really like to do that, and everything just goes smooth as glass, right? It's just like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> well, yeah, that's because God opened out the door. And so you just walk through, right? Someone, if ever, have I been able to do any of that stuff on my own. I just can't. I can try, but uh, unless God's opened the door, I just bang my head. You know, keep banging your head on the concrete till you quit. And uh, so I've had to learn to do that. But if the door's open, smooth sailing. And God will do that. Will do that as you pray to Him and are aware of His leading. He will lead you to those open doors. And I hope you can crash in and close one instead if you pay attention. Or sometimes you let you crash into them to teach your lesson, doesn't it? Yeah. Alright, now let's move on here. Verse 8. I know your works. Once again, don't think you can hide from Jesus. He knows exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, when you do it. He knows everything you do. So you cannot hide from him. He knows. So don't think you can. You can hide things from each other pretty well, can't you? We can figure out how to do that as we grow up. Not hide those secrets. Unless you can't lie with your darn. But uh, those lies end up catching up with you. The truth always comes out. But God knows it the first time to say it, so it doesn't do any good. It's for the truth. I know your works. Behold, I set before you an open door. We just talked about that. Whether that's the open door to evangelism, whether that's the open door to blessing, whether that's the open door to salvation. And no one is able to shut. But then he says, I know that you have but a little power. Now that can be disconcerting if you don't understand what that means. All that means is that they were small in number. Okay, they were not a big powerful force in that town. They were not a mega church in that town, okay? Half the people in that town went to that church. No, that wasn't the case here. There was a lot bigger Jewish synagogue than there was a Christian church there. Okay. And so what he's saying is, even though you're small, you do have some power. You do have some power. But uh, you know that that uh, little power is talked about a lot in scripture, isn't it? God uses the strong and the mighty, right? No. Zechariah, look it up later, Zechariah 4, 6. It says, no, he uses the meek and the lowly, right? He doesn't use the power of those people. We need to depend on his spirit to give us the power that we need to survive this. Okay? It's not our own power that's going to do it. The Lord uses the unlikely. And the Lord uses the unlikely all the time. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. 
He uses the one that we may not even think is important. You know, that's one of the great surprises I think we're going to have in heaven, is the people who are there, and you have the rewards, are people that we thought were just the janitor, you know, or we thought were just the guy that walked on the street, you know, and had odd jobs. wasn't very important in the town. No. In God's economy, things are different. Things are different. And, you know, that's why I said at the beginning, I love this little church atmosphere, because this is what he's talking about right here. He's talking about you were a little church, but you had power. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You do, and he wants to work through you. To work through all of us. And if we open our eyes to him and let him do it, great things are going to happen. And I'm not talking about the numbers of people, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about changing a lot. Okay? That's what church growth is. Don't get confused by the television and by the internet. Church growth is not a matter of numbers. Okay? <laughs> That's a business model. That's not a biblical model. Okay? The biblical model is God brings in the people that he wants to bring in. Our job in our little body here is to build each other up and mature each other. Okay? So we get more mature in the Lord. That's church growth. And I know that's not very popular today. And the most churches of a thousand people don't want to hear that. But it is biblical. And so, not that there can't be small groups in there that are wonderful Christian people. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that I like to look at Philadelphia being little churches like this. That's just what I'm saying. Because we have small numbers, but we have great power. So even though you are little and you have a little power, it says in verse 8, um, yet you have kept my word. You have kept my word. So we not only have powers, but if we have obedience, we're going to have the blessings of this church. Kept my word and have not denied my name. That's loyalty, isn't it? That's standing by him. Somebody says something against God, you don't let him stand. Right? No way, you speak up for him. You're loyal to him. So you not only have the power of the Holy Spirit to give you this power, but you have the obedience to what he tells you to do. I know that's a bad word today too, obey. I know that's a bad word. People say it's a bad word. Obedience is not looked on like it was when I was a kid. It used to be a virtue. And I'll tell you straight up, it still is a virtue. And if you are not teaching your children or grandchildren to obey, you are letting them down. Scripture is clear. That is one of the primary things we have to do with children as they grow up, or young people as they grow up, is teach them to obey. Because how are they ever going to obey God and live a less life if they can't obey their parents. It's not going to happen. That's why God says, in the home, teach them to obey. And he gives us direct ways to do that in Scripture. Do a search, you'll find out that there are specific ways to do that that he gives us. Not out of a shrink book somewhere or a psychology book that has no idea what they're talking about. The Bible knows exactly how to raise children. And that is to teach them to obey to respect, okay, adults and their parents. Because then, as they grow up, 
they transfer that easily to God the Father. Because I used to tell my kids, you know, that when they got their spankings, they'd say, oh yeah, you never get spanked. And I'd go, oh, I get spanked. <laughs> Don't think that just because you're an adult, you're not going to get spanked. It's a little different. But God is fully capable of taking me down. Okay? Has no problem doing that. Uh, don't think you're going to get away from it. It just transfers, doesn't it? From your earthly parent to your heavenly father. And that's what is important. So, not only do we have the power, we have the obedience, and we have the loyalty, like it says here in 8. It goes through these so quick, and they're so big, each one. I just want to take off one, but I'm not going to. We're going to get through this. Um, you have kept my word and not denied my name. All right? So you have perseverance. You have endurance, right? Endurance and stubbornness. There you go. Stubbornness is not a bad thing if it's used in the right way. Okay? Not a bad thing. So we need to be stubborn for him. We need to keep his word, and we need to... Uh, do those things. These are things that he's describing about this church that he loves. Okay? God loves this church. He doesn't say anything negative about this church. Did you see anything negative here? Nothing. Nearly every other church, except for Smyrna, he says, oh, and by the way, however, but I have something against you. Not here. Not here. Does that mean these people were perfect? No, of course not. There is no perfect church, is there? There's no perfect pastor. Believe me, there is none. Okay. No, we are all imperfect. But if we have these attributes going on in our lives, if we have these attitudes going on in our lives, if we depend on the Holy Spirit for power, if we're obedient, if we're a word that comes up in all the other churches, repentance, when we blow it, we repent and put it in the past and move on. God gives us that, doesn't he? That's what grace is all about. His mercy and grace are incredible. And if we use that, then we can be a blessed church just like this church of the And that's my prayer for us. You're hopefully getting that idea as we go through this. Um, so this perseverance, this perseverance is incredible. And then over in verse 10, he gives us a, uh, another one. This endurance, he actually brings it up in verse 10. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance. So they've endured. Does that mean they didn't have any problems? No, they had problems. We're going to talk about that next. They had a problem, especially from the Jews. The Jews hated the way, didn't they? Yes, they did. And they still do today. <laughs> okay. uh, a lot of other religions hate the way. Um, because it is the truth, and we talked about it before. The, it's the light, and the darkness hates the light. Okay, evil hates the truth. It just that you can't have it both ways. Okay, so either you're against it, against the Lord, or you're for the Lord. And that's these guys in this synagogue of Jews here in this town, verse nine. Uh, they thought they were a synagogue of God, but God has a different name for them, doesn't he? That's because they had turned into a works-based 
lower than the king is. That's the lowest of the ruler, right? Because that meant they were superior to the Jews. Well, they weren't. But that's what they thought. Um, so, what this really means here, isn't it, is that what that really means is that they will come to know the Lord and they will come and join you. And they will confess that they were wrong in judging. They were wrong in thinking they were better than you, right? They will bow before you, they will humble themselves. And I've had people in my ministry, and you have too, in the churches you've gone to, people that come to the Lord and they go, man, was I a jerk. Would you please forgive me for all the evil and mean things I said and mean things I did. Please forgive me. I had no idea that I was that cruel. Please forgive me. And I was wrong. That's part of the whole process. That's part of the process of coming to the Lord, is realizing that part of us, that pride and putting all that down. So martyrs will come to Christ and admit their foolishness. Okay? They're going to admit it. And uh, people do that today. People that you think are cutting you down, people you think that don't like you at all, that hate you, that are talking against you, stirring up rumors against you. There are people like that. <laughs> okay? And we need to pray for them. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to spit back at them. That does no good. What does good is to pray for them and have the Holy Spirit open the door in their life to where you can hug them and love them. Okay? That's what God wants for us. He wants us to be loving to each other, not to be hating each other. And so pray for those people. The scripture is clear. Pray for your enemy. Okay? That they will come to a knowledge and get a clue. Okay? That's what we're praying for. That they'll get an idea of what the truth is. So, we keep going. We're just about done here. He has some other blessings that are wonderful here. He says in verse 10, Because you have kept my word and my patience and endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Um, this is a direct reference uh, for people like myself who vote for the pre-tribulation rapture uh, that this is a scripture that we use often for pre-tribulation rapture. God is going to come and take us out before the tribulation, before the hour of trial is talked about, okay? before the horrible tribulation is talked about in Revelation from chapter 6 all the way through 18 or so. Uh, that is what's going to happen on earth during that those last time, the seventh week of Daniel, we talked about that. Uh, during that time, it's going to be horrible on this earth. And we will be relieved from that if you take that to be what this says here. Okay? And I personally take it and say that. So, uh, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world and uh, those who dwell on the earth. And the reason I believe that is the next verse. It says, for I am coming soon. Hold back to what you have. So stay true, stay faithful. I'm coming soon. Does that mean he's coming tomorrow? Does that mean he's coming next Thursday? No, that means the next thing on his calendar is to return. Okay, that's the next big event. We don't know what it's gonna be. If somebody tells you they know, they're not telling you the truth. <laughs> okay. But it does mean 
that he is coming soon. He is coming, and he will come, there's no doubt about it. So hold fast that no one may seize your crown. Now what does that mean? Are we going to have rewards in heaven? You bet. And the reward you have in heaven is up to you. If you store things in heaven, if you store riches in heaven, and not on earth, or moths can destroy and rust, right? If you put things in heaven, they will be part of your blessings in heaven, part of your reward in heaven. If you don't do anything for the Lord, you just have a relationship with Him, but you don't do anything for Him, you don't do anything with the family, you don't lead anybody to the Lord, you don't talk to people about the Lord, you don't do any of those things He asks you to do, you'll make it to heaven if you love the Lord, but you will not have those blessings. Okay? It's clear in Scripture. Look at Second uh, John for a second. I'd like to read a little bit of Second John. We don't often read Second John. Just before the book of Revelation is uh, Jude, and then Third John, and then Second John. So just back a couple, three pages. Is all you need to go. Verses four. Most of the we're going to read most of this letter, starting in verse four and going through down verse, down through verse eleven. It says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we what? Love one another. Love one another. We just sang about that, didn't we? And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. It's called obedience, right? This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. So we love each other, that's the law, right? And many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. We've got a lot of them running around the United States today. Watch yourself. So that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. See that? Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Good morning, huh? Good morning. When you hear anybody talk to you, when you go online and hear a preacher start talking, you check out what they say. Check it out. Okay? Check out what I say every time. If I say something wrong, call me on it. Hard to do online. You can make a comment, I guess, at the bottom of some of those sermons or some of those talks. But with me, you can just talk to me, okay? <laughs> just say, friend, last Sunday you were dead wrong, let me show you. And you can show me the verse, and I'll be glad to apologize and straighten out. Because I won't make mistakes. I will. Just ask my wife. So, make a list. now we have verse 12. Some blessings that come to us if we are enduring for Him. Our faith and endurance.
says, We're going to make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. Okay. What is it? Do you remember in the old temples, there when Paul was going through Athens, we just well, talked about that in our Bible study on Monday night. He saw all these temples with all these pillars, and these pillars had people's names engraved on them. Okay, as kind of a tribute to them. Kind of like when you they're building a new building and you can buy a brick, you know what I'm talking about? And they'll put your name on the brick, that means you contributed to that building. Or they'll put your name on a seat in a new auditorium or whatever. That kind of thing is exactly what he's talking about. In the temple of God, your name will be on a pillar and you'll it'll never be taken down. It'll be permanent. That's a blessing right there. And I will write on him the name of my God. So we're going to have the name of God written on us. That's a big deal too. Yeah. And <clears throat> the name of the news of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, that speaks about our citizenship to that city. We're going to be full citizens. Okay, all rights and privileges of that city. That's a big deal too. People work for years to become citizens of the United States, don't they? Have you go through classes if they do it the right way. <laughs> they go through classes, they take a test, they learn all about this country, they commit to being a good citizen. Okay, it's a big deal. It takes a lot of time. Until they can do that, they can't vote. Not legally, they can't vote, and they can't <laughs> and they can't have many of the privileges that a citizen has. Okay? But when they have become a full citizen, then they have those privileges. And that's, we all accept that. And we all treat, treat them with that respect. It's just that in many societies, including ours, uh, that isn't always held to anymore. Nope. No, people who aren't citizens are treated like citizens. And that's not the way it should be. We should have that citizen. And we're going to have that in heaven. Praise God. We're going to be fully Vested in heaven, there you go. We're going to be full citizens, okay? And then, which comes down out of the, uh, from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Hmm. That's an interesting phrase. That's the name, the new name of Jesus that he received after his resurrection. Scripture talks about that as being the name Lord, right? Well, I'm not positive that that's exactly what we're going to, that might be a different name we get to heaven. I'm just telling you, I don't know exactly what that means. Well, to me, what it means is that we <laughs> are going to be joint heirs with Christ. We are going to be his possession. We are never going to be left out of anything. We're never going to be lonely. We're never going to have all those ailments that we have here, we're never going to have any of those emotional problems that we have here because we're going to be all, you know what I mean? And I long for that. Because there's a lot of places I don't belong in. You feel that way? There are parties I go to, people say, come to this, I'll, you know, I'll, have, I'll even hold a wedding and I'll go to the reception and I look at Lori and I go, we, we don't belong here. You know? We don't belong here. I'll go to parties of birthday parties with friends and that the people will show up and I'll look at her and I'll go, we, we just don't belong here. We need to go. And we go. 
know about you, but that is a big deal to me. Because don't we all want to belong? Don't we all want to be important to somebody? And, uh, you know, just so you know, you guys are important to me. Okay? You're very important to my wife. And uh, so don't feel that way. If you ever start feeling that way, call me up. Say, Brent, am I important? I'll say, yes, you're important. Stop that. No, I don't agree. I will say to you that God loves you more than I do, but I love you too. And you are important. You do that. And you do have a place to belong. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Well, what a wonderful letter, huh? What a wonderful letter that God put in here, I believe, just for us today. Because uh, you can read these other letters and you go, yeah, we mm -hmm. have that problem. Yeah, we see that problem in the world. And yet here he doesn't issue any condemnation at all. He doesn't say, you are blowing it here, you're blowing it there. He goes, I know you're not perfect, but you are enduring for me. You are obeying me, and you are loving one another. And that's what we're all about, right? So let's keep doing that. And when anything starts to mess with that, we need to snuff it out real quick. Okay? Snuff it out real quick. Nip it in the bud. Don't let it start to get Alright. That deal? That's a deal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today not only grateful, but blessed. Blessed that we can count on these blessings in our future. Just like you promised to this church in Philadelphia so many years ago, you were promising to us today. That when you come, and you will come, that we will live with you forever. And if we die before that time, we'll be in your presence. And we will get rid of all of these problems we have down here. So, Lord, we pray that you come quickly and take us out of this crazy world. But as long as we're here, I pray that we would be not only ready and looking to you all the time, but that we would be looking for open doors that you can open and no one can shut into the lives of people that you gave your life for and yet are rejecting turning their back on you. Blasting. Father, use us as instruments, as tools, and I pray that we could be open and willing as you open those doors to share all about you and what you've done for us. Father, we pray for those that need you so desperately. Pray for those in our own families, our own close acquaintances. Father, I pray that we could be used. And through your Holy Spirit, that we would be made aware even more if necessary. And we'll give you the praise for that. Thank you for this incredible encouragement at this time as we're living through this in our society, Lord. I pray that uh, your truth and your common sense would rule and that. Uh, People in leadership would come to a knowledge of you 
answer. <laughs> because the society is going down, and you know that more. But for those people who can come out of this, we pray for them. We pray that they would come to their saving knowledge of you, which is, which is such an eternal, eternal thing that they can't even see right now. Father, be with us. Help us to be strong. Help us to be lights on the hill for those people. And we'll give you the praise of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.